Turn in your Bibles with us this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 within God's Word this morning as we complete a brand or complete a sermon series and begin a brand new one this morning. We're going to, I've never done this before where I, in one message, have uh, completed one and begun a brand new one. Hebrews chapter 11, if you don't have a sermon study guide, lift up your hand, and if you'd like to do the fill-in-the-blank stuff and follow along, we'll get one in your lap. If not, just sit back and don't put your seat buckle on. Amen. It's so good to have you with us here this morning. Amen. A couple... A young couple was awakened in the middle of the night with a rat-tat-tat on their door. The husband ran out to see who in the world at 3 a.m. in the morning was at their front door. And he opened up the door. And out there was a man staggering. Hey, buddy, sorry to wake you up, but uh, can you give me a push? The husband looked at him and said, you're drunk. You're drunk as a skunk. Leave me alone. Slammed the door in his face, went back to bed, told his wife. His wife said, honey, you remember the time we got stranded and that farmer helped you out with our flat tire. Now, even though he's drunk, go out there and help that, that poor man. Go out and help him. Feeling convicted and guilty, the, the hubby went out to the front door and the, the drunk was gone and, and all he saw was darkness. And uh, he, so he yelled out in the darkness, uh, uh, Hey, buddy, are you still there? And he heard a voice say, Yes, please. Can you still please give me a push? Well, where are you? I, I can't see you. And the voice said, I'm over here on your kid's swing set. Can you give me a push? <laughs> oh, the games people play. We have been sharing with you the games that people play with us and, and games that uh, can end up making us bitter instead of better. But the worst kind of games that people play are, are, are the games that we play in ourselves, where self is ruling our life, our heart, our mind, instead of the Lord. We've looked at board games. It's interesting how the title, the, 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 the name of board games can become the theme of a sermon, like the game of life, uh, or sorry, or battleship, you sunk my battleship. I was thinking about doing a sermon on Twister, but I never got that far. <laughs> this morning's, this morning's uh, game is not a board game, but it's a number one hit on HBO. It's been critically acclaimed. It has attracted more viewers than any HBO uh, TV series. It's a fantasy, uh, American fantasy series in, in HBO's uh, history. Uh, it has attracted, uh, as I said, record numbers of viewers who, who watch the frequent use of nudity, violence, sexual violence. It says an awful lot about our culture. What am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, the Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. 
which is viewed on HBO, which I call Hell's Body Odor. No Christian, no Christian should be caught watching such filth and such garbage. It's diametrically opposed to God's word, but that's not my message this morning. It's the title that intrigues me. It's the title that got my interest. Game of Thrones. Who rules? What rules upon the throne of your heart and your mind? One of the greatest signs of Christ's lordship in your life or my life, one of the greatest signs of who or what sits upon the throne of your heart is your attitude. I said your attitude, specifically your faith attitude. Read with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he what? That he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I ask a question right at the onset of this message. Do you, do you, do you believe that the God, that our God, your God, wants to reward you, wants to bless you, wants to prosper you, wants to favor you? Do you believe that? Does a God-confident faith rule your life, or are you playing the game of thrones? Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us, speak to us, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Oh, God, anoint this word, pierce, Lord, any confusion, pierce any doubt in this room. In the name of Jesus, may you be glorified. Amen. Amen. Fill in the blank with me this morning. When God used Moses to free his people Israel from Egyptian slavery. Moses was able to get Israel out of Egypt. But Moses couldn't get Egypt out of Israel. Think of it. God had prepared a place of great abundance, a place of great prosperity, a place of great freedom and favor for his people. What was that place called? The promised land, not Disneyland, the promised land. The promised land. He had prepared that for his people. God sent Moses as their deliverer. God sent miracles and delivered them through his strong hand of miraculous, wonder-working power. God sent the Passover lamb. They were literally a people that were under the blood, the blood of the lamb. Yet they couldn't conceive it. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't receive it. They had been slaves for so long. They had been sons and daughters of decades, centuries of slaves. Their minds were so gripped with negativity. Their minds were so gripped with despair, discouragement, defeatism. They could not conceive. They could not believe. They could not receive God's best for their lives. They couldn't break the barriers that they had erected in their minds, barriers of doubt, despair, defeatism. 
So halfway on their journey, write it down, to the promised land, Israel became comfortable, contented, complacent. Complacent. How many, how many, how many out there, uh, I, I better not say women, I better not say wives or mothers, because, you know, I'll be accused in this politically correct environment of being sexist. So I better say, how many of you out there, you'd love it if you'd never have to go grocery shopping again? Okay, come on, be honest. How many already don't go grocery shopping again? Okay. Think of it, Israel Israel, Israel was camping out in the wilderness, in the desert at this time. You know, you might think it was a destitute, uh, impoverished situation, a hard situation. Honey, they didn't have to go grocery shopping. They just walked outside the door every morning, and there were their groceries. I'm talking about bread from heaven. I'm talking about God's angel food cake. What am I talking about? Manna! God fed them from his banqueting table. Some of you health food nuts would go crazy. It was from God's banqueting table. It was the healthiest food you could ever imagine. It kept them healthy and happy. It kept them alive, free from disease. It was the most nourishing diet that you could ever, ever imagine. On top of that, it was better than living in San Diego or Hawaii. Do you know that they never got too hot? Why? Because God was like a pillar of cloud by day, sheltering them, shading them. Have you ever been at uh, Disney World standing in a long line? You know, Disney World for me is the ninth layer of hell. I mean, standing in a long, sticky, candy, sticky, cotton candy, hot, humid line, and then they missed you. Didn't that feel good with the mist? And those long, hot... That's what God did. The Bible says that's what God did with the pillar of cloud by day. They never got too hot. It was just right. How about at night? Did they get cold? No, because God appeared at night as a pillar of fire. They never got cold. Too cold? They never got too hot. It was perfect. It was better than San Diego, better than Hawaii. I mean, it was perfect. And so when we catch up with them in Deuteronomy chapter 1, they're contented, they're comfortable, they're cozy. They've become, sad to say, complacent. And God says in verse 6, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. What mountain am I talking about? What mountain has become a hindrance, an obstacle in their life? Mount Horeb. This is where the Ten Commandments, where the word of the Lord was given. They not only had God's manna, they had God's word. They knew what God's word was. They knew God's promises. And how far away, how far away at this point is the promised land, promised land living? Just an 11-day hike. Dan, they're just 11 days walking trip from the promised land. Think of it. The greatest miracle, God's best for their lives, is within reach. And God says, you've stayed long enough here. I don't want you to settle for halfway living. I don't want you to settle for plateau living. 
I want you to move on to my best. I've got something better for you than this. I've got a higher way of living. I've got a greater vision. I've got greater prosperity. I've got greater blessing. I don't want you to settle for this plateau. I want you to move on. I want you to press on to my best. Would they do it? God was wanting them to break their negative thinking. Pastor Hal, if he was preaching this, he'd call it stinking thinking. Yeah, God was wanting them to break their stinking thinking habits. Even though they were freed, they were still thinking like slaves. Even though they were free, they were still thinking with discouragement, despair, disillusionment, depression, defeatism, and death. God was wanting them to stretch their faith. To stretch their faith. I read not long ago of an alpine resort, an alpine resort that caters to companies, corporations, to send their leadership teams to. In order to build team spirit, these companies hike up this mountain. And you don't have to be a mountain climbing expert. You don't have to use any rope. It's just a hike. But it's an eight-hour hike up to the top of this mountain. Halfway up this beautiful, picturesque, scenic climb is an alpine restaurant where they stop and have sandwiches and hot chocolate. It's a beautiful view. They take pictures. Guess what they've discovered? Guess what they've discovered? In most of all the groups that intend to climb the mountain, that are inspired to climb the mountain. Most of all the groups whose plans and strategies are to celebrate the pinnacle, the peak, all together in a group photo, only half make it. The other half settle to stay at the restaurant. Their stomachs are full. They get lazy. They get sleepy. Half of those who intend on making it to the top settle for halfway. And that's just what Israel had done. And God said, you've stayed too long here at this mountain. Like Israel, like the alpine hikers, uh, you and I, we can be so similar how many of us, we have a goal to break a bad habit? We have a goal to lose some weight. We have a goal to pay off our credit cards. We have a goal to grow closer to Jesus. At first, we're all fired up. We leave the service that the preacher has just preached at, and we start Monday off on a run. But by the time we get to Wednesday, that's why we have Wednesday night service. We begin to move into cozy, comfortable complacency. And instead of stretching our faith, instead of, of stretching out to God's best, instead of pressing on, we're satisfied with just a little improvement. We coast. We get comfortable. We neglect to press on to God's best. You know, it'd be easy because the Lord has especially accentuated this word, Deuteronomy 1.6, you've stayed too long 
at this mountain. He's especially accentuated and amplified it in my heart. It'd be easy here in our lakeside facilities to get comfortable. Hey, we're debt free. We got money in the bank. These pews aren't so bad. You know, this sanctuary's not, you know, I can live with this. Let's just settle for what we've got and stagnate and watch the funeral director year by year empty out pew by pew by pew. And I can take you to cathedrals in Europe that have ended up becoming mausoleums, not just museums, where God was once there in a dramatic, dynamic way. God's people were on fire, but they decided to embrace halfway living. They decided to enjoy the plateau instead of marching and pressing on to the top for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, I don't want to settle for a trickle. I want a river of blessing. I don't want just a breeze. I want the wind, amen? I don't want uh, just a halfway living. I want all that God has for you and me in the great days ahead. That's why uh, the, the new series is going to be, let's go mountain moving. That, this first mountain, Mount Horeb, had become a comfortable mountain, a cozy mountain, a mountain of contentment, a mountain of complacency. And I say those kind of mountains need to be moved. I, I've discovered it doesn't take any more effort to trust God, to believe for his promises, than it is to doubt and to move into discouragement, into disillusionment. Begin believing, Lakeside, for bigger and better things in your life and in our church corporately. If you don't think your dreams will ever come to pass, hey, believe me, they never will. So Israel, write it down, played the game of thrones. Rather than enthroning God confidence in their lives, Israel enthroned doubt and set their expectation on death and defeat. On their journey to claim God's best, time and time and time again, they played a game of their own choosing. When Israel came to a place where there was no food, when Israel came to a place where their enemies attacked them, when Israel came to a place where the waters were bitter, when Israel came to a place where there was no water, when Israel came to a place when Pharaoh's army was behind them and the Red Sea was before them and there was no way out, what did Israel do? What game did they play? It's their favorite pastime activity. They complained. In fact, in the end, God had taken count and said, Ten times this people have complained against me and tried my patience. By the way, who led them to a place where there was no food? Who led them to a place where there was no water, bitter water? Who led them to a place where there was no way out? whatsoever. Who led them there? Don't tell me Moses. It was God. It was God. Who's leading you right now, Christian? If you're a born-again, blood-washed, Bible-believing soldier of the cross, who's ordering your steps? Read the book. Read the Bible. God's in control. God is directing your life. For the believer, for the child of God, things don't happen by coincidence, accidents, or happenstance. God is directing you. 
You have a choice. When you come into a battle, when you come into a storm, when you come into a negative vicissitude of life, you have a choice that can make you bitter or you can make you better. God was wanting his people when they came to a place where the water was bitter. God was wanting his people when they came to a place where there was no food. God was wanting his people when they came to a place where there was no way out and Pharaoh's army was behind them and the Red Sea was before them. God was wanting his people to lift up their hands and begin to praise the Lord and give a shout of victory and declare, God, we don't know what you're going to do, but somehow, some way, God, you're going to make a way where there seems to be no way for our God is on the throne and everything's going to be all right. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what God was wanting. But what did God hear? What did God see? He saw people that were still talking like slaves and living like slaves, thinking like slaves, stinking thinking. There it is. Israel was playing the game of thrones. And instead of a God confidence, instead of a vibrant faith ruling their hearts and lives, they allowed doubt to sit upon the throne of their heart. In short, Israel had an attitude problem. What do we mean by attitude? Specifically, an attitude of expectation faith. An attitude of expectation faith. Attitude, mark it down, is an inward feeling expressed by your outward words and behavior. Your attitude is, is seen by everybody without you ever even saying a word. That person that look, is looking at you right now across the aisleway with looks that can kill... They're not singing, oh, happy day in their heart. No, there's nobody doing that. When you tell your teenager for the upteenth time that if she doesn't clean her bedroom, she's going to be grounded, and her head begins to spin on its shoulders, and she's spitting, she's moaning, she's groaning, they're not demon-possessed. That's attitude. That's attitude. Right. Right. Our attitudes, write it down, are the results of choices we make. Choices we make. You might have woke up this morning, and instead of that songbird being outside your window, there was a buzzard, there was a vulture sitting there on that branch. Honey, you can still stand up and say, I will rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Praise the Lord. I want to remind you, if I can do some counseling with you, there are some things in life that you and I cannot change. We cannot change our heredity. We cannot change Michigan weather. We cannot change the poor choices that people make. We can't change Detroit economy. You don't have control over it. And you don't have control over your past, and you don't have control over your future. All you got, sir, ma'am, young person, is right now. Right now. Right now. 
if you're surrendering to despair because of your past, if you're surrendering to despair because of Michigan weather, things that are out of your control, stop it in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 3.13, one thing, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press, I press, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Remember, when Jesus is ruling and reigning in your heart, the greatest days of your life are ahead of you. The best is yet to come. This is true. It's not just a platitude from a pulpit. It is true. The best is yet to come because God is your Father, and God wants the best for you. He wants prosperity. He wants favor. He wants blessing. If you can find something different in this book, tell me. Point it out to me. Your attitude determines what you articulate and what you activate. Your attitude determines what you articulate and what you activate. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Most, most of you know how that generation of Israelites ended up. When they got to God's best, when they saw God's best for their lives, when they saw promised land living, what did they say? There's giants in the land and we can't do it. They began speaking of stoning Pastor Moses and Pastor Aaron. That's you and me, Pastor Hal. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. God only brought us here to kill us. Not only did God have Moses and Aaron hear those words. Who else heard those words? God did. And God responded. What did God say? I want you to note this. This is a powerful revelation here. I want you to note this in Numbers chapter 14. Listen to what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? See, when you complain about your circumstances, when you complain about the situations in your life, you're not complaining really about those things. You're complaining about God. Because last I heard, He runs the universe. Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. God hears it. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord. Underline this. I will do to you the very things I heard you say. What you say carries weight. What you say is powerful. What you say will become your reality. You speak blessing or you speak curse. You speak victory or you speak defeat. You speak life or you speak death. What are you speaking? What are you verbalizing? What are you vocalizing? Their attitude of doubt regarding God and His promises became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Their complaining spoke of death and defeat. That entire adult generation 
was sentenced to die over the next 40 years in the wilderness, all except Joshua and Caleb. Honey, sir, ma'am, what you and I say has a strange and powerful way of becoming reality. In the name of Jesus and upon the authority of Holy Scripture, I command you to stop saying if and start saying I will by God's grace. I want you to stop saying it's impossible and start saying all things are possible to him that believeth. I want you to stop saying I don't know the right people and I want you to start saying I'm not only a friend of God, I'm a child of God. I'm a king's kid. The royal blood of heaven flows through my veins I know my provider and he is my God stop saying I can't get a better job stop saying I can't improve my finances and start saying it's God's will for me to be the head and not the tail it's God's will for me to get power to get wealth it's God's will that he will supply all of my need stop saying nothing good ever comes my way if I had a dime for every person I sat down with in counseling who said pastor nothing good ever comes my way it always happens to other people I'd be a rich man stop saying it and start saying I know the plans my God has for me plans not to harm me but plans to prosper me plans to give me a hope and to give me a future hallelujah it wasn't long ago that I visited a home in the church and their parakeet was out of the cage yeah their bird their parakeet it was hopping all over the place. I mean, I'm trying to visit. I'm trying to minister. I'm trying to stay spiritual and got this bird hopping all over the sofa on my shoulders around me. Pastor Hal and I could write a book about home visitation. And I said, aren't you scared that this bird, uh, your parakeet, is going to fly out the window? Aren't you scared your, your, your parakeet is going to fly out the door? An escape? I can't believe it's out of its cage. Ah, pastor, it doesn't know it can fly. It doesn't know that it can fly. When you say that to a preacher, man, right away the lights go on. That'll preach. Pastor, when we got this parakeet when it's young, when it was young, we clipped its wings. So it couldn't fly. It lived so long with clipped wings. It lived so long without being able to fly that even once its wings grew back, the barriers of doubt, the barriers of inability, the barriers of impossibility were erected so strongly in that bird brain. It doesn't believe it can fly. I declare to you upon the promises of God's word and upon his person, you are not meant to walk and squawk like the chickens. You are not meant to make your habitation with the chickens. You are meant to lift up your head and lift up your voice and soar with the eagles. God has made you an eagle. For they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and they will mount up with the wings of eagles. Hallelujah. But how many of us are pecking and squawking and walking with the chickens in the barnyard? And we've been destined for great things. 
We've been destined to soar in the heavenlies. We've been destined to soar with the angels and sing the song that the angels sing, but we're content to pecking at chicken food and sitting in our comfortable nest. And God is at work in his church. God is at work in his people, stirring up the nest. The Holy Spirit was here Wednesday night in a great and dramatic dimension for God's people that were here Wednesday night. God, the Holy Spirit, rent the heavens and he came on down and he was baptizing people in his Holy Spirit and they were speaking in other tongues to the glory of God. What God has done for others, he wants to do for you. He's no respecter of persons. Honey, sir, ma'am, you weren't meant for the barnyard. You weren't meant to walk and squawk with the chickens. Lift up your head. Uh, hear the call of the Lord. He wants you to take flight. Uh, he wants you to put on the armor of faith. He wants you to put on, hallelujah, glory to God, a positive mindset that says, if my God is able to do that which is exceedingly and abundantly more than I can imagine, ask or think, I can do it. I'm a friend of God. I'm a child of God. What's sitting on the throne of your heart? Who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Who are you giving worship to, focus to? What are you giving praise to? on the throne of your heart. The attitude that overcomes adversity conquers, conquers complaining with an attitude of gratitude. It's not enough to just cease your complaining. It's not enough to avoid complaining. A mannequin in a store window can do that. God wants to hear an attitude of gratitude from your heart. Paul said in Philippians 2, do all things without complaining and disputing. Complainers are on God's judgment list. When Israel complained really bad one time, God sent a certain animal after them to bite them. Does anyone know what those animals were? Snakes. If God did that today, most churches would look like a reptile house next Sunday. I grew up with a grandpa, Grandpa Chris. I'll talk about him in a moment. He used to have a sign in his kitchen, my Grandpa Chris, who pastored for 50 years. He had a sign in his kitchen. I complained because I had no shoes until I saw a man who had no feet. An attitude of ingratitude, an attitude of complaining will quarantine you from the presence of God. That's why the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Attitude is the key to releasing the miraculous power of God. Paul teaches us in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. He wants to hear it. And thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. If you want your prayer life to be effective, saturate your prayer life with thanksgiving. Jesus gave thanks before the miracle of multiplying the loaves and fishes. Jesus gave thanks before he raised the dead body of Lazarus from the tomb. 
How much more so do we need to give thanks in our prayer and our praise time? Start praying, Lord, I thank you for the job that I lost. Because God, I know that the pathway of disappointment is really your pathway of opportunity. I know that you're shaking the nest. You're stirring the nest. Uh, I know, Lord, that you're getting me out of that place of comfortable complacency and you're moving me on (laughs) to soar with the eagles, to receive your best, to receive your promotion, to receive your prosperity. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. In reversal, give thanks. In heartache, give thanks. Give thanks in poverty, pain, or prosperity. In all things, give thanks. Psalms 100, be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord, he is good and his mercy is everlasting. Sir, ma'am, young person, don't wait for your circumstances to change. Thank him now. Thank him now. Thank him now. And experience the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. If you wait for your circumstances to change, that's backward. If you want to change your circumstances, thank him now. He's the God of the impossible. The choice of a new generation. Israel's choice to embrace the mental barrier of doubt rather than to break it. Think of it. Write it down turned an 11-day trip, an 11-day trip to God's best, turned it into a 40-year wilderness wandering. I've watched that happen to individuals, marriages, to churches where God gave a pathway of opportunity and because they chose not to trust God, God passed them by. Despite all the miracles the Israelites experienced at the hand of God, they still chose to embrace their slavery mentality of discouragement and defeatism, and they missed God's best for their lives. Countless Christians miss God's best time and time again because we allow the barriers of defeatism, uh, discouragement and doubt and despair and defeatism to short-circuit all that God wants to do within us. When a great, great opportunity comes along the way, instead of launching out in faith, we remain comfortable in the boat. Instead of God's plan is for us to walk on water. These barriers are what the Bible calls strongholds. The Bible says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Read that chapter. Read that chapter in the Bible. This is important for your spiritual growth. Paul is talking about active points of satanic resistance that crop up in our minds and our spirits that keep us from God's best because we choose to enthrone doubt. We enthrone discouragement. We enthrone depression instead of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Strongholds are active points of satanic resistance. These barriers often are accumulated during our lifetime, especially if we have grown up in a negative family, a negative home environment, I ask you, what negative words, 
what hurtful attitudes have been directed towards you in your home life? Have you heard throughout your life, you'll never amount to anything? Was it inferred? We don't love you? Was it even said, we wish we never had you? Write it down, after 40 years of going in circles and attending the funerals of the unfaithful, a new generation rose up, a new generation poised to possess the promise their parents had missed. God again says in Deuteronomy chapter 2 to this new generation, he says the same thing he said to the old generation. You have been wandering around in this mountain country long enough Turn to the north. Turn to the north. Turn to the promise. It's time to possess the promise. I have so much more for you. Move on. Press on to all that I have for you. Is God saying something similar to you this morning? How many of you have been wallowing around long enough where you have been? How many of you have been going in circles, doing the same thing year after year after year, expecting things to change. And until you change, they won't change. It's time to move on. It's time to let go of past hurts, past pains. It's time to let go of failures. It's time for increase. It's time for promotion. It's time for healing. It's time for favor. It's time to believe for promised land living. Maybe you were raised in a home environment of negativity. You can determine to be a change agent through the blood of Jesus Christ and embracing the promises of God despite the fact that you look back and your ancestors and your grandparents and your parents raised you in a circle of negativity, you can determine through the blood of Jesus to be a change agent for all succeeding generations. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a brand new creation. The former things have passed away and all things have become new. And it's the choice of a new generation to rise up and say, we're not going to be like our parents. We're going to claim the promises of God. For all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And when we come against our Jericho, we're going to give a shout. Because <laughs> it's not a shout until it's out. Hallelujah. God's on the throne. And God is our victory. This battle is not mine. It is the Lord's. And God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Young person, old person, you don't recognize the impact of your life. If you'll go for it in God, if you'll go for it in faith believing and faith receiving, the ripple effect of your life will impact countless generations until Jesus returns. Most of you have heard, as Cindy comes to the keyboard, most of you have heard the testimony of my grandpa, Harvey Christ, who pastored for 50 years in Ohio and Michigan. My grandpa, Harvey Christ, bright red hair, 
had such a terrible temper. Had, had such a terrible temper. They called him the Red Devil. Most of you have heard the testimony of how his life was dramatically changed one day when a knock came on the door and he opened up the door and there a Salvation Army worker led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And his life was changed forever. But what you haven't heard is the rest of the story. My grandpa Christ, who last pastored in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and built the church that's still standing there today, he was raised in the most hellish home environment that you can imagine. He never once heard the words, I love you. His father, my great-grandfather, would repeatedly horsewhip my grandfather with a horse whip. Not his open hand, not take a time out, not even a belt, a real horse whip. One time he even took a two by four to my grandpa. He was raised in a hellish home filled with every imaginable abuse that you can list and I'm not going to go into the detail because it's too embarrassing this is my lineage my grandpa's favorite buddy was his little brother just a few years younger than him who was mentally challenged Charlie would follow my grandpa everywhere they did everything together everything they were bosom buddies my grandpa took care of him constantly one day and this was after my grandpa was saved and born again one day they went to a gravel pit in Ohio to go swimming beautiful crystal clear gravel pit all the boys there was a place where they would all go swimming and suddenly my grandpa couldn't find Charlie 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 in a panic, he went swimming back and forth across that gravel pit. Charlie! Charlie! Suddenly, his toe snagged on something. It was Charlie, drowned to death. And so my grandpa had to carry his brother, his dead brother, in his arms home. When his mother opened up the door, she shrieked and like lost her mind. And for years, directed her hate towards my grandfather. He grew up with that kind of environment. But my granddaddy, chose to get better instead of bitter he chose to stand upon the promises of God and know that he knows that he knows 
that his father will never leave him, will never forsake him. And law is with him always. He chose to press on in the Lord. He chose to remain faithful to the Lord. He chose to love the unloving. And eventually, he was able to win his father, his brothers, his sisters, and even his mother to Jesus Christ. He became a pastor, and never knowing that he would end up fathering pastors and missionaries who would end up fathering pastors and missionaries. I'm standing here today preaching before you because somebody decided to press on and decided to go for God's best, decided to break the negativity in the home, decided not to take on the barriers of doubt and discouragement, fear and low self-esteem, but trust the promises of God. How many are here this morning? How many are here this morning and you would come up here and stand with me and say, Pastor, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. Pastor, I'm going to press on. I'm going to stand with you, Pastor, and I'm going to press on. My past is redeemed. Uh, My present is forgiven. My future is secure. Pastor, I'm going to press on with you. I'm going to stand with you. Hallelujah. And I know that I know that I know that the best is yet to come. Uh, I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not yet what I'm going to be. Pastor, I want you to know I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be delayed. I'm not going to be deterred. I'm going to run the race of faith. I'm going to press on. Hallelujah. I'm going to receive all that God has for me in the name of Jesus. I want you to join the choir this morning as they sing for us a word that God has given them for this church. I want you to join with them in this word. Stand with us this morning and let's this morning be convinced to press on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.
Lord, he is God. <laughs> Our Lord will never let you down. Our Lord, hallelujah, is upon the throne. And he is here this morning to minister to you at the point of need.